0: What was your mascot?
1: Um, we were the Mavericks. Yeah. Why does that matter?
2: It doesn't. I just want to know. I don't know. why. I, I
0: just I just the want to know. You know. I wanted her to say something like, We were the fighting tank engines or whatever. Like I wanted I don't know.
2: He wanted it to match up. That's cute. Don't question
0: shame me, Jennifer. <laughs>
2: I don't know, do we consider this our first episode or second episode? It's our first guest of season two. It's...
0: Epito... Ep- Epito...
2: <laughs> you shouldn't drink so much before the podcast. I,
0: I, seriously, it's all that Baileys I have in my coffee here. Baileys? Um, <laughs> uh, speaking of Baileys and drunk Irish people, I have I'm some here. gifts for you. Oh, for me? Um, yeah, and I feel bad because I like... There's a couple things I've gotten that I leaned into the like... The Irish thing. The Irish thing, but it, they were adorable. It was like well, a, we
2: are adorable. We're an adorable people. What's the quote? God created uh, alcohol so Irish people wouldn't rule the world because we're
0: the <laughs> best. <laughs> that reminds me of uh, why? Do, oh, how does it go? Why do? Why do people in Mississippi love Alabama so much? Why? Because they don't have to be last at anything. That means like the the people. Let me try that again. Wait. <laughs> why do people in Mississippi love Alabama so much? Why? Because Alabama. I don't. Know
3: how I to think say you it.
2: mean the opposite. Like, isn't Mississippi always last?
0: Oh, is it? Oh, I like why does Al- why do people in Alabama? It's basically because you know that way there's always someone to come in after them.
2: That was a really good joke.
0: That was great. That's... You
2: really nailed that.
0: <laughs> I do this for a living.
2: We love you, Mississippi. <clears throat> we love you, Alabama.
0: <laughs> we, st- we still don't know how to start this, do we? We, we
2: don't know how to start the damn episodes. We're going have to have to take a class.
0: We are as equally awkward at this as we are like talking to new people at parties.
2: Oh, yeah. I don't think that my days of going to parties, I think they're dead. Those days are dead. Mm-hmm. I, I mm-hmm. don't want to go to a party ever again i don't want to i get very tired and i'm gonna get so so sleepy that i'm just gonna have mm-hmm. to go home i can't mm-hmm. do it anymore
0: yeah i don't think i was ever as good at parties as i thought i was <laughs> because i'm pretty sure i was always the one that was like did you hear they found a body
2: <laughs> or like
0: <laughs> like yeah. you know if somebody's trying to to start where did you go to school at ut we have the body farm do you know about the body farm? Like I always yeah. was talking about something morbid and Oh yeah,
2: I used to I actually overheard somebody once talking about me going, "Oh, Jen McGoldrick is always um talking about where people died." And this was in high school. Mm-hmm. Nobody in my life significant had passed away yet, but I was talking about dead people in
0: town. Oh yeah. All the time. You know, my friend that I I had lunch with last week, you know, I had mentioned to you that she had some pretty major health things. I don't want to share those without, you know, her her permission, but she was talking about how she basically survived a near-death experience and how her friends feel that it's a thing that she needed to get beyond or get past. Or in their mind, they're like, well, why are you still carrying this with you or struggling? Because you made it. You should be celebrating every day. You should be. And I was like, yeah, maybe you should. But they don't realize that saying that to you just makes you feel guilty for not doing those things. But I think it is that people have to realize that grief and trauma, they change you. It's not a thing you get over. I think I've said this in the podcast before. I kept waiting for like the first year after my mom died and then my brother dies. And then I was like, okay, how long is it going to be before I'm back to normal? And now here I am never how many years out. (laughs) And I'm like, oh. This
2: is normal for me. This is the yeah. new normal. Something that is not new necessarily, but I have been, has been on my mind lately, is the physical impact that grief has had on my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I still struggle with trying to not be so physically wounded by it.
0: I would liken it to like, if you've ever been around like heavy machinery, and then when it gets turned off, you still hear the roar. But you've gotten used to it, so you don't notice it until the roar is gone, actually. It's not gone. No. I've just grown accustomed to, I've accepted it for what it is, and I know it's always there, and it's always going to be a part of me. and Always and forever. All right. Well, I think we should, at this point, we've stumbled through this introduction enough that we should get to this guest. How, how do you feel about that?
2: Let's do it. Today's guest is an engineer who comes to us from the state of Texas while studying for her bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering at the University of Texas Arlington. She was part of a collegiate design competition put on by the Society of Automotive Engineers that built open wheeled race cars from scratch. She competed against other universities around the world and she has two first place wins under her belt. She was also the first female engineer ever hired at Toyota Racing Development. She's a lover of snow skiing, volleyball, and is a whiskey collector. At home, she has a Border Collie Blue Heeler named Finn and a kitten named Matilda. She is also an outstanding cook and baker. Please welcome to the show, Michelle Shia.
3: Hello. Hello. Hi. How
2: are you? Good. How are you doing? Good. Thank you. You were in Colorado State, but you're in Texas. Colorado State for graduate school. All right. Oh, so you're smarter than us. Okay. <laughs>
0: now, yeah, exactly. Uh, we, we have liberal arts degrees.
2: Theater
1: arts. Theater really, arts really, <laughs> you know. Yes, the entertainment is, is very, very important in the yes, world. It is. It is. So is engineering. It actually saves our lives.
0: <laughs> what type of engineer are you?
1: I am a mechanical engineer by degree. And a materials and process engineer by trade, which means okay. nothing, really. But if you know that everything's has is made with a material
3: uh-huh.
1: and has to be, you know produced with a process, mm-hmm. and I pretty much just kind of help with everything like that. but i I prefer doing um, like a forensics type of failure analysis. That's my okay. favorite thing in the world. Okay. So things break. You bring it to me. I do some analysis. I tell you why and how it broke and what you need to do to make it better. Okay. Can you do that with my heart? <laughs>
3: <laughs> mm.
1: Tell me how to fix mm. it. Make this it better. This one is out of
3: out <laughs> of service now. I
1: like... am not. I am not a medical medical professional, but you know, um,
2: <laughs> you're in Texas. I
1: am. When did you move there? Well, I kind of grew up here. Oh, um, we we moved here when I was about. I want to say like 14. So okay. my, I, we used to live in Indianapolis. My mm-hmm. mom passed away when I was 12. She had wow. had ovarian cancer. So back in the 80s, nobody really knew mm-hmm. much about that. My parents had a restaurant in Indianapolis, a Chinese restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, so stereotypical. <laughs> I learned how to cook. Um, I learned how to cook with them. And, you know, I spoke some Chinese up until... You know, my mom passed away, and then because normally it's the the mothers who teach language.
3: Oh, and
1: okay. uh, yeah, and so after that, it's like my Chinese is still at like whatever grade level and stuff like that. I'm oh, like not fluent grade. yet. Yeah, probably not even that because you know by then they're all fluent, but I'm, yeah. like, I'm not even.
0: <laughs> now is that Mandarin or yeah. Mandarin? Okay, okay,
1: yeah, because there's a there's Cantonese
0: Cantonese too. as well, right? Yeah. yeah.
2: Well, that I didn't know that your mom had died when you were so young. My goodness! Yeah,
1: she. Um, so I remember the cancer was so bad; she looked like she was pregnant. Mm-hmm. So I just I remember asking her if we were having another baby, and by this time I am eleven, my brother's twelve, mm-hmm. and so yeah, and you know that's when we realized that she was sick, and she went into the hospital, and for a couple times, and then you know she ended up with um, I guess chemo. They did chemo and stuff. I just remember as a kid going, answering the phone one day, my brother and I were playing, my dad was at the hospital. And then it was the doctor had called and and I was like, Well, my dad's at the hospital Well, he just left. And could you just let him know to call us when, when he gets home? And I'm like, Okay, sure. And uh, he, he gets home and I said, Hey, the hospital called the doctor called, he called them and then hung up the phone and then flew out of the um out of the house. Wow. And he gets back like about an hour or so later and said that mom died and we have to go up and see her. Right. Mm. And so I'm just like, okay, well, not really knowing what to do with that. And my mom she was super tiny, like mm-hmm. just in general, as stature wise. And she was probably about maybe like 5'1, five, 5'2, five, somewhere in there. And but just like super skinny. And she had been in the hospital for so long. Like I hadn't seen her. It'd been like about a month or so. She didn't want us to come visit her because she thought cancer was contagious. And so she didn't want us to, I think I saw her like one time in the hospital. Mm -hmm. And then, um, when we went to go see her, um, when she had passed away, um, she was so skinny and she was covered up. Like her head was, you know, out in the open and everything, but her body was covered up and all I could see was like her torso. It didn't look like she had any arms and legs. And so that kind of freaked me out. Yeah. Yeah. And so I just kind of hid behind my brother and of course there was a priest there and we all kneeled down and prayed and all that stuff. So, um, were you guys Catholic? No, we went Mm -hmm. to a Catholic school. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, my parents wanted us to get a good education. So we went to a Catholic school and, you know, private school. So, yeah. um, I started early, my birthday's in October. And so, but you know, w- when you have enough money and you can pay to get your kids in school, you can start them off early. <laughs> so, play. That's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's fine.
3: <laughs> yeah.
0: My birthday was in August and I had always just had a birthday.
2: Mm-hmm. It still is right. Cause you said it was in August. <laughs> Did it change?
0: Do you? I will come (laughs) through this laptop. (laughs) Circling back to, you know, you were talking about your mom. Were Mm -hmm. your parents or your mother, was she, uh, had she immigrated? Was she first generation? Yeah.
1: Yeah. My parents both came here, like in the 60s, I think. Okay. Um, My dad had a job at a college teaching Chinese. Mm Mm-hmm. And, oh, okay. uh, yeah. So, and then they decided at some point in time to open up, um, open up a restaurant. I don't know how that came about though. <laughs>
2: how the restaurant came about. Mm-hmm. Um, were they all, had they always been good
1: cooks maybe? Oh yeah, totally. And, uh, I don't know. I think it was my mom's idea.
2: Where, uh, what part of China was your family from?
1: So my dad was from like Northern China in Beijing, Mm-hmm. And then my mom, I think, was born in the Sichuan province, but I don't know exactly where. So the story about my mom and her parents, my mom was basically adopted. And I say adopted in quotes just because that whole mass exodus from China into Taiwan. Mm-hmm. And they had her parents had said to their like best friends or whatever, here, take my daughter. And oh, so, yeah. yeah. And so I have, an, I have an auntie somewhere that I've been, I don't really know how to look for her and mm-hmm. find and if grandparents are still alive or whatever. But I don't know if I'll ever find that half of the family and just mostly because I don't speak the language. So I can't, I have photos and stuff mm-hmm. that I have this, I can send to my uncle and maybe they can look just photos of my mom. But, you know, just kind of put that out and see if anybody remembers her. You know, I think grief and loss in general is like a part of everybody's lives. So my Mm -hmm. mom, you know, like I said, my mom died when I was 11 or 12. It was like in December. So it was like a a couple of weeks before Christmas. That's always kind of hard. So Christmas is not like a big thing for me in my house. Like I don't have decorations or anything like that. Um, When we left the house in Indiana, my dad's like, oh, do you want the tree? And I'm like, no, let's just leave it. Because that one was kind of hard. My dad passed away a year ago, September, Mm. he ended up with, uh, I guess, like, oh, like a liver cancer or something like that didn't tell anybody. Mm. So my, my, my whole family, well, his not my whole family, my, my uncles and my aunties came from Taiwan and Australia, back in September, October of 2019. And so they had a little mini reunion with just the the brothers and sisters. And so we took them around like Fort Worth and Dallas for like about a week and stuff.
2: That's nice. And
1: um, my dad was in an assisted living facility. And then like after they had left, my dad had, you know, was taken to the hospital for some stuff. And then it turns out that, you know, the doctor that called me, well, how long has he had had uh, liver cancer. And I was like, or no, not liver cancer, colon cancer it was colon cancer. How long has he had colon cancer? I was like, well, that's, that's new. <laughs> wow. Like, So he just, I guess it was like in August, he had gone to the hospital or something, didn't tell anybody and came back with colon cancer. And then Um, he refused treatment and the doctors would always call or the nurses would always call, Oh, you know, he's not taking his medicine. I don't really have power of attorney, but I'm not going to force him to take medicine. He doesn't want to take Right. my boyfriend, Paul, we were, we would always go and visit my dad like once every couple of weeks, I would cook for him, Mm -hmm. you know, stuff that that I remember that he likes and feed him some good, good Chinese food. And that was going to be the plan for, you know, and then COVID hit and he was stuck in this nursing home didn't want a cell phone because people steal stuff. The last place that he was in, they, he stole um, his iPad was stolen, mm. um, so he couldn't really talk to people. Paul had bought him some some new sweatpants and sweatshirts and stuff because Dad liked to keep warm. And he went back like a few days later to go pick stuff up after he was taken to the hospital, and everything except for like maybe like a pair of pants, because um, he had bought some shoes too for my dad, everything was taken out of his room. And I'm like, well, okay, that's just shitty, but oh, <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah. So he was there in Texas. He was. Yeah. In Texas. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah, it was just, it was totally random, the stuff that they would take. So he was stuck in a, you know, in a nursing home for almost a year without mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. anybody really coming to see him. And every time, you know, he would call me or I would call him, I would have to call the main line, get to the nursing station and just basically, because he didn't want to wear hearing aids either. So anytime he would call me when he was not, and I would be at work. And uh, I have to walk outside because I'm screaming at him because he would—he was hard of hearing. And so and then I'd have to go outside because you know, you're in an office space and everything's pretty quiet. You don't want to sit there and go, Oh, my God, you know, Dad, can you hear me?
0: my dad is deaf and (laughs) basically (laughs) it's like it's my fault that he can't hear me right (laughs) he gets angry toward me (laughs) and he'll be like i can't hear you and i'm like i'm in a store i cannot talk any louder than i am (laughs) right now i can't be any louder (laughs) right
1: i i taught my dad to text um before he had gone into any kind of assisted living, nursing home, whatever. And I taught him how to text because it was so hard to just try and talk to him on mm-hmm. the phone because, you know, it just always sounded like I was yelling at my dad and I'm just waiting for people to go, why are you so mean to your dad? <laughs> so, you know, like,
2: yeah, I was that way with my mom, and on <laughs> even though she'd had a hearing aid in.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to jump into your story,
2: but did he die of COVID
1: eventually? No, he didn't. He didn't end up having COVID. Um, I guess it just the cancer Mm. just got to him because it spread to his liver, I think. Mm -hmm. And so because he didn't have COVID, I was actually able to see him and say goodbye to him in the hospital. Okay. It was so fast what had happened because I put him on hospice because- the people that I knew that were on hospice weren't on hospice for like weeks or months. Mm -hmm. And I actually had to go out of town for work. So I was like, Saturday, you know, I saw him signed over papers to put him in hospice and he got transferred back to the nursing home. I had driven down Sunday to where I was supposed to be for work, like about four hours away. And Monday morning... Um, before my alarm, somebody called me and, you know, said my dad had passed. And it was from the hospice people. It wasn't from the nursing home people. The nursing home people were just really bad at communication. Yeah. Dad was going to be cremated, but I didn't even have a chance to look to see, like, who I was going to pick for that. And so the the lady on the phone helped me figure She's mm-hmm. like, well these people are really great. And I'm like, Okay, great. So she called them for me. And then, you know, I texted the people that I was supposed to be meeting that morning. So this was like at six o'clock in the morning, texted the people I got online and emailed my management saying, Hey, you know, my dad just died, I'm gonna head back home. It was kind of weird, because you know, I didn't really have a great relationship with my dad, um, even growing up. And especially like after my mom passed away, right? So this is you know something where it's just like growing up. You know I would miss my mom and would cry, and my dad's like, "Oh, you don't need to cry. You know, mm. stop crying." Not that he was over it either. It was just he probably didn't want to have a reminder
3: mm-hmm.
1: of being sad. And he was. It was weird because he was always the person about, "Oh, you have to think positive. You have to think positive." And he never really did that. Oh. <laughs> and- so it was just, I'm like, okay, but
0: oh, that's amazing. You know,
1: do as I say, not as I do. Yeah. Um, because he was, you know, his late in life he decided to be a chiropractor, and he was helping out a lot of people. He's he was learning how to do acupuncture, acupressure, and stuff like that, and so he was helping out a lot of people. Outwardly, he was really social with people, but at home, it was just like he wasn't like super miserable, but he wasn't. Really, just it was that whole secret life that he had. It was always like, Oh, don't tell people, you know, this, that, or the other about me. Or so it was, it was a lot to deal with as a kid and understanding that, you know, it's this whole journey that you have to go through, right? About learning how to love yourself. And when you grew up and you weren't good enough for anybody, you know, because you're, I grew up thinking my mom went away because I was a bad kid because my mm-hmm. dad would always tell me he was not really just like a nice person. Like we would the whole paddling thing when we were growing up, my brother and I. Mm. And so it was just like being afraid of your dad. And it was also one of those things too, where it was like, I lived at home basically until I was, Oh God, late Mm twenties, something like that. I went off to grad school. I started off at the Colorado school of mines first. And um, dude, I was miserable. I was crying all the time because I missed my dad, you know, because he was the only person I ever had roommates growing up. And so my brother went off to the Navy and he was doing other things. I went off to grad school and I was just miserable, called my dad every day, just crying, want to come home, you know, all the stuff. And, but I knew that grad school was something that I wanted to do. And like a few months down the line, I was talking to one of my mentors and he went to, I did race cars in college. So I was talking to one of my mentors and he was he was going to come up and give like a lecture. And so I got to see Colorado State and their campus and everything and decided to make the switch there like a few few years later.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: That's how I ended up at Colorado State. But, you know, and after I left Texas, it was weird. I didn't think I was ever going to move back because <laughs> I'd moved a lot of different places. You know, I was in L.A. for about L.A. area for about three years. Mm hmm go work at Toyota Racing Development down in Orange County. So um, that's how I made it to LA. I didn't really take care of him. You know, I provided for him financially. Once I started going different places, I would send money home. When I started contracting as an engineer, I started making more money than usual. And then I would, you know, end up paying all of his bills and putting money in his account for like groceries and stuff like that. Oh, so you were financially supporting your dad? Oh, yeah. And so it was just one of those things that I just got used to doing because I couldn't actually take care of him myself. I don't know if I just didn't have the patience because, you know, you don't like when you're with your parents and you're with somebody else's parents, it's like a whole different kind of patience. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my God. I cannot teach you how to use this iPhone. But here, (laughs) let me get my friend to come over and teach you how to use this iPhone. They have more patience than me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah.
2: absolutely. We talk about this often on the, on this show that the relationship that you have with the person that dies really does dictate how you grieve for that person. Mm -hmm. And so how has it been for you since he's died? It's,
1: you know, it's hard sometimes. And um, other times it's just like, like I said, you know, I didn't really have a, I had a better relationship with my mother, so I missed her. There are days where I'm just like, not like a lot recently, but most of sometimes when I'm just like blubbering, I miss my mother so much. And there are days when I'm like that with my dad, but not as much, you know, I'll think of my dad and I'll just be like, Oh, you know, this is how my dad, I made some soup the other day, like how my dad made it and stuff like that with a little few tweaks. And I'm like, Oh, it tastes just like dad's. I'm good. Yeah. Cause stuff that I was going to make for him, you know, I've made him like different dishes and stuff like that growing up without a mom going through teenage times and not being able to talk about girl stuff, women's stuff to a mother. And I've had mother figures growing up. So, uh, one of my best friends, her mom, I call her my mom Hmm. because I've just known her for so long and she's, she's really good role model and stuff like that. And so it's one of those things, but it's, it's different, right, because it's not your i guess blood relative blood family right yeah she's not really my mom, so she does she knows me, she knows me really well, but you know not in the way that I was when I was a kid growing up
3: mm-hmm.
0: I wanted to ask you your what was your dad's relationship with uh your brother like
1: oh, um, I think it was like a typical Chinese type of relationship where, you know, the brother is the best thing ever. Mm-hmm. Because he's a son. Yeah, because he's the son, right? And so, yeah. you know, for me, it was always, I've always been an overweight child and, um, you know, overweight adult. And I have a mouth because <laughs> I'm an engineer too. <laughs> um, and, you know, my dad would always tell me stuff about how, no one was going to marry me because I'm fat and I'm ugly and I cuss too much, you know, that kind of thing growing up. I learned how to hate myself at a very early age. Mm -hmm. To me, having my dad not criticize me anymore was probably one of the best things that has ever happened to me. You know, my mom wasn't really like that. So my brother was like, could basically do no wrong. But I always wanted to hang out with my brother and he didn't really like that either, like in high school and stuff, but um, it was a different kind of relationship, but we were poor growing up because, you know, after we moved to Texas, we didn't have a restaurant here. Yeah. So dad was finding different things, different odd jobs to do. So we grew up poor and it was just, it was one of those things where it was like, well, I don't want to be poor growing, you know, when I get older, I always liked school. My brother was never really good at school. You know, I got praise for getting good grades, Mm
3: -hmm. right?
1: Right. But really nothing else. So I liked hanging out at my friends' houses more than I liked hanging out at my house when I was growing up. Mm -hmm. Sure, yeah. It wasn't like my dad was physically abusive. He was just very emotionally abusive. Yes, which is
2: also very devastating Mm -hmm. when you're trying to, as you get older and trying to the self-love and that kind of well, stuff. Yeah, your
0: formative years. Over.
1: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, it was interesting. Like I was a pretty shy kid uh, when we first moved to Texas. And I, I guess my mom had been gone for about a year and a half before I started 10th grade. And um, it, it was um, one of those things where I kind of learned how to reinvent myself
3: mm-hmm. to
1: try and be more outgoing. But there's still like a lot of trauma there, right? Because I'm, I'm not the kid whose mom died. That's where I was where I, before. Mm-hmm. But there's still, there's still a lot of trauma in my head. But I was always like a people pleaser kind of person, mm-hmm. right? Because just I wanted people to like me because yeah, my own dad really didn't. I mean, he loved me the best way he knew how, right? Right. But that's going through a lot of therapy, learning that he loved me the best way he knew how. That's a
2: really long road to get to that. That's tough. Mm-hmm. That's I commend you for that because that's that I've been there myself, but
3: mm-hmm.
2: I didn't have a mother that passed away when I was that young. So that's yeah. a long journey. Wow. Yeah.
0: Something um that may or may not resonate with you. I, I don't know. I I had read that trauma and abuse are not just the things that happen to you as a child. It's also the things that didn't happen to you.
2: Mm. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. When your needs are not met. When your needs yeah. are not
0: met. Yeah. When you don't get the emotional support or the stability or the love or, mm-hmm. or the reassurance that you, you, know, you need as a kid.
2: And you deserve. And you deserve. Right. you know, Living in the United States, the outlook maybe on child rearing is different. Was that something that came into play
1: at all? Um, you know, I'm not really sure. Um, I feel like, you know, with all the, the counseling that I've been through, it's just more, my dad was supposed to keep me safe, right. Yeah. Or make me feel safe, mm-hmm. which is something that I never, I never got right. So funny story when they had the restaurant and they were first starting up and I was probably, I don't know, like maybe like two or three, it, it was something where I could get out of my own bed and open the door. (laughs) And uh, the story that was told to me when I was a kid is that, because I know I have abandonment issues and partly because my mom passed away. But I think part of it too, at the beginning was they came home late at night, right? They would come home, put us to bed and then go back to the restaurant. They would leave us at the apartment or the house or whatever by ourselves. We were like two or three or three or four somewhere in there. My brother, of course, slept through everything. Apparently, one night they came home. I was standing outside. I think we were in an apartment at the time from the story that I was told. I was standing outside on the porch, bawling my eyes out when they came home. Aww. So, yeah, that, that was probably my first abandonment thing when I was a kid. But, you know, and then my mom dying and stuff. I think the culture mm-hmm. and maybe more so the generation at the time, right? Because even. I think so. I was born in seventy one. When was the hippie age? Like the sixties or seventies? Yeah, late late sixties. Yeah. Even so, right? Like the the Chinese people were just very, they're very stoic and Mm -hmm. you know not. And I think the moms are different, right? But the dads are very much like, don't show any emotion. Mm -hmm. You've got to provide for your family, which I think is just all around the world, right? Right. right. I think with the addition of my mom passing away, added more trauma to that trauma on top of trauma, right? The generational trauma.
2: That's a real thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: Well, and then also, because what I'm hearing is that it's, it's cultural, but it's also the gender roles are a very specific Mm -hmm. way culturally. And then was that also difficult maybe not seeing that reflected in the the families around you. I don't know how many, uh, were there a lot yeah. of Chinese kids in your school or were you? No,
1: I was, you know, my brother and I tended to be like the only Asian kids. Like I know when I went to private school in ninth grade, that's when we saw like another set of Asian kids. So they're Korean, but they mm-hmm. were like very straight laced stoic. Like, I don't know what kind of people they were at home or, you know, whatever, but like, I was always laughing with friends and they were just very much staring me down. I'm not really (laughs) sure. Like that's, that's what I remember. That's what I remember. And so my brother and I went to, you know, he started off at a different high school that what I went to by the time that we moved to Texas, we, we were in the same high school, but that's when I started seeing all kinds of people Right. Because my brother and I were the token Asian kids. Mm-hmm. There was, I remember one school that I went to, there was one African American kid, and he was the only one in private school. I grew up in corn fed yep. Indiana. Right. Yeah. And so there are very few, you know, Asian people, minority, whatever, where I grew up. So it was, <laughs> it was just very weird. Now, so when I moved to Texas, everybody was nicer. Not to say that, you know, the people that I grew up with weren't very nice. I just didn't really go over to their houses very much. Mm -hmm. I remember one kid that I hung out with in like elementary school and she was kind of mean. She was, she was a minority. I don't know. I think she was like, maybe like Filipino or something. I don't really remember, but she was not nice. Before we had left Indiana, she had called me, like, when we were older and we didn't see each other anymore. I guess, I don't know how she remembered the phone number. Maybe she wrote it down. But she called me one time and she's like, hey, this is, you know, whoever. And I was like, oh, hey, how are you? And she's like, are you still fat? (gasps) What? Yeah, totally. I just hung up the phone. I was probably, like, I think, I want to say, like, my mom had passed away already, And this was like in between mom passing away and us moving. So somewhere within that two-year time period. But I was like, what a fucking bitch. (laughs) You know, like, yeah, yeah, uh, seriously. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Good God. My God.
2: Did you and your dad ever talk about your mom?
1: No, no. No. My my dad, you know, towards the end where he was getting like very, I don't know, like his brain was not. His dementia started getting kind of bad, like after I think we got back from from China and whatnot. And, you know, my dad was saying that my mom was unfaithful to him hmm. and cheated on him with my uncle. And I was like, okay, well, first of all, we can't corroborate that story. Mom's been dead for decades, you know? So yeah. it's like, but I think it's him trying to rationalize why it was okay for her to be gone, I guess. I don't know. But yeah, just for him to like, rationalize him just being okay with her being dead. I don't know. But it's like, it was so random, because my uncle lived in Texas, my uncle and his family lived in Texas. And my my dad was saying different things. And I'm like, I can't corroborate that story. You're telling me like a bunch of stuff that you think is true in your head. But you know, I think is bullshit. Because for the (laughs) for the 12 years that I knew my mother or 11 and you know, whatever years that I knew my mother that she was always around, like she would go home to Taiwan, every so often for like a few weeks and stuff like that. And then just come back because she wanted to see her family. We have like, a I I have an uncle for the adopted side of the family Mm -hmm. that I met like one time in my life, I was probably like, nine, nine or Mm -hmm. 10, when they sent us off to Taiwan for about a month by ourselves. (laughs) And this is when I (laughs) <laughs> I'm yeah and we we were traveling with um some family friends they were heading back there so some of our family ended up picking us up at the airport but like I didn't know who they were I'd never met them before Wow
0: isn't part of this just like growing up in the 70s and 80s though Yeah mm-hmm. where people just were like they'll be on a plane people will be it'll be fine like who's going right? yeah. who's going to get them <laughs> yeah. in the air
2: Our generation, we were either raising ourselves Mm -hmm. or we were being kidnapped.
3: Yeah. Those were
2: the two things. Yeah, basically. Yeah. (laughs) That's basically it. So it sounds like your mother did not have time for an affair.
1: No, it was just totally random. And so my dad was like, oh, yeah, you know, we should all get a DNA test, which we never did, you know, because here's the thing, right? my dad and my uncle come from the same gene pool. So like, you right.
2: know, well, also wait, are, was he implying that you guys weren't his children? He was implying that my brother
3: was not his
1: and possibly me as well. Holy but I know, and I'm just like, what the fuck is this about? Oh, Where did wow. this come from all of a sudden? Right. And so but this is when he was, was sick. Yeah. This is when, yeah. When he was sick and stuff. And, um, you know, because, when he got back, um, when we got back from the trip in China, like not too long after that, he was diagnosed with uh, congestive heart failure. Mm. So his legs were all swelling up and, and weeping. So he's been sick for a while and not really knowing like when he got sick. It was probably before the trip. But it's all of that kind of stuff that just contributed to his mental decline over the sure, years. Yeah. And
0: Michelle, you brought up we don't have to go here if you don't want to, but you brought up talking about your weight. Mm -hmm. Were you heavier when your mom was still around or did that happen after her death?
1: No, it was... um, So I remember I have photos of myself as like a normal-sized toddler. I have a photo of me uh, graduating kindergarten and I was just a plump little sausage. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, so I was still, yeah. But I, I think a lot of it has to do with the, you know, The family's just all like, oh, you know, you should eat more. You know, food Mm -hmm. was a food is an expression of love. Mm -hmm. It absolutely is. Yeah. So did your mother pass away
2: before the restaurant closed? Was the restaurant still up and running? So it
1: was still up and running. Um, What was interesting is that they had a bigger restaurant and -hmm. then they closed down for about a year or so because they wanted to spend more time with the kids which I don't really remember any of that. So, but we opened up a small, I was young. And there's like a lot of things that I don't remember because I'm 50 now. And, you know, my my brain's full of engineering stuff. But like, um, (laughs) they ended up opening up a smaller place. You know, and that's when my mom got sick when we had the smaller place. Mm -hmm. She worked all the time. She just kept working. And I don't know if she enjoyed what she did or if it was just something that she felt like she needed to do. Was she the primary um,
2: cook at these restaurants? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you when she passed away, you guys moved to Texas mm-hmm. and didn't open another restaurant?
1: No. I mean, my dad, you know, cooked really well, too. Yeah. Um, you know, I learned how to cook a lot of different things from him. But between him and my mom, my mom was primarily cooking. He was doing a lot of prepping. Mm. Okay.
2: Was it something that maybe with you and your dad
1: it's something that you did have a commonality was food and cooking. Probably. I mean, my brother didn't really learn how to cook. And, you know, my dad told me, Hey, if you want this, you're going to have to learn and cook it yourself. Okay.
0: <laughs> was most of your childhood, cause you've said it twice or kind of alluded to it
1: that second time.
0: Was it all about finding a husband or getting married? No, no. Okay.
1: No, I think it's just more of like a, you know, him trying to want me to be thinner and skinnier and stuff. Cause he was, I think he and my mom were both chunky as children and stuff. So he was projecting his stuff on you. Probably, but I also think it was one of those things where if you're skinny, you probably have more. Like life is easier. Yeah, something like that, you know.
0: It's so interesting. I commend you because it takes a very, it takes work to find when you've not been taught how to love yourself. It takes work to f- then, yeah, to then learn how to be kind to yourself.
1: Yeah. I was at my lowest, like a few years ago, a friend of mine had sent me a podcast by her name is Nicole Moore. She's a coach. She's a love coach.
3: Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: And I had listened to her and then I ended up on a, like a one-on-one phone call, like an introductory phone call with her and to join her program basically. And I had been going to a counselor at this time. I had, I dated this guy that I probably shouldn't dated him in the first place. Cause he was really just not a good person. And, mm-hmm. but you know, like I was like, I think I love him and blah, blah, blah. blah right. Because he was paying me attention and I right? yeah. never really had, any kind of boyfriends or anything growing up. You know, it was ingrained in me that no one was going to like me. If guys mm-hmm. were nice to me, I thought they were just being nice. I didn't think they were flirting because I didn't know what that was. Mm. You know, it was one of those things. So when he started, you know, paying me some attention and we broke up, it was terrible on me. Like I was so stressed out, I'm a stress not eater. I lost about 40 pounds. Wow. And so I was I was probably like in a medium which I'd never been in my whole entire life unless I was like a child. You know, mentally, I was like, oh, my God, I'm still fat. I still need to lose more weight. You know, this, that, and the other, blah, 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 right? But I looked good. Like, I looked back on that photo, and I'm like, holy shit, come on. That's when I started going to just regular counseling, right? So I've been going to counseling for a couple of years before I found Nicole. She had this, uh, this program. You know, my counselor was like, Well, you know, you need a community. Cause I wasn't really going out and doing a whole lot. I didn't, you know, I have friends that I grew up with, but everybody's busy. And like at the time, I was like, Oh, I'm just a burden on mm. people. Right. Mm. Got got on some, you know, antidepressants because I needed the boost. Sure. Yeah. You know, started doing all that. And when I found Nicole, um, ended up talking to her and she was like, Oh, well, so you need a community. And I was like, Well, that was my that was my sign that says mm-hmm. you know i needed to join up her program by by you know not by any means was cheap but i took it as an investment in myself yeah and within the first month i learned more about myself than the 2 years of counseling because she was she was hardcore intense mm-hmm. her program used to be called get and keep your man but it wasn't about that <laughs> at all it totally was not about that at all it was about yeah. learning how to love yourself Yeah, it's a process. It's all about a process and how you're deserving of of love and everything that you're you want. It was it was a big eye opener for me, Mm -hmm. you know, and I've been I've been with Paul for about four years now. You know, we have our issues like most couples do, but it's just one of those things where you just kind of learn like people will talk about things. It to me, it was more like um, when I first got into that relationship with that guy, you know, it was like, Oh, you get into an argument and people are going to leave you. You know, Mm -hmm. if you get mad at people, they're going to get mad at you and they're going to leave you because that's how the only thing that I knew growing up, you know, you can't share your emotions because, but I've always shared my emotions. It just, do I overshare? Probably. Do I care? Not necessarily, but you know, like it's just, but it's just one of those things where you kind of, if you don't know how to love yourself and there's nobody to teach you how to do it, you keep repeating the same patterns and you mm-hmm. don't know how to break out of that and Nicole taught me how to do that,
0: or even that you're you're the impetus for those things like I think that yeah. was, for me it was eye opening to realize, oh, I'm creating that like one way or the other, whether it's the the type of person that I'm getting involved with
3: mm-hmm.
0: what you were just saying. If you've not had stability, if you don't come from a stable thing, right. and then you get some sibilance of stability, that's terrifying that you're going to lose it all the time. Oh,
3: yeah,
2: yeah. that's going to be my next question is like, you're describing this, and I have like anxiety as you're describing this, because <laughs> first of all, you're describing like myself as a <laughs> yeah. child, too. And yeah. I'm like, oh my God, we're the same person, <laughs> and what you did... And it sounds like it was kind of an aggressive approach, which Mm -hmm. sounded like what you needed. That takes a lot of guts.
1: It was was a year-long program. Yeah. I started the program before I was actually, I think I had started back up to work and I was still like, still hadn't really made like a lot of money Mm -hmm. at the time. What I did was is that I paid off enough on my credit card every month that I could charge the next month Mm-hmm. And I kept doing that because the program was a whole year.
3: Mm-hmm. We
1: had two retreats. So we were out in um, San Diego for a couple of, couple of times. Huge commitment. It was. It was a huge commitment, but it was, it was life-changing. It was the probably the best thing you know I'd ever done for myself because that's when I realized that I was worthy of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My whole life, I grew up not thinking that I was worthy of anything. And that came from my dad. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and that was stuck in my head, you know, my whole life. And I was in my 40s before I realized that that wasn't the case.
3: Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Dad was, dad loved me the only way that he knew how. Because for him, it was like, you got to be skinny in order to get the best things in life. You've got to be, you know, this, that and the other in order to, to do all the good things. Where I was... Paying for him for all of his bills for like the last decade or so of his life. So I never had those difficulties that he was thinking that I was going to get. But Mm -hmm. I I knew that there were certain things that I was good at, you know, being an engineer and stuff like that. But like being awkward when you're like in relationships and stuff like that, totally me. Before I joined this program, I signed up for you know people setting you up on dates and stuff like that. Right. Mm-hmm. So I went out on one cause they had sent us, you know, like photos and I was like, yeah, sure. Whatever. I'll go. They never set me up with anybody like really the right type of people. This one dude was just like, I sat down, got a glass of water, I guess. And he was like, well, did they send you photos of me? And I'm like, yeah, why? Why? And he was like, well, you know, like fitness is very important to me. I got up and I walked out. I should have I should have just poured my water on his head and walked out, but I just got up and walked out. I wasn't there for like more than five minutes. Good for you for doing that. And so I was just like, what the fuck? I drove all the way out here and you're just going to be a douchebag. And oh, <laughs> when
0: somebody says something that's implying like fitness is very important to me. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you can't be in a relationship with me because you're already in a relationship with the gym.
3: You're right. Yeah.
0: So enjoy that. And I hope it keeps yeah. you warm at night.
2: Yeah. That's a long road for him too. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly.
0: It was this like a matchmaking service. Is that what? Yeah. yeah. something. You know, yeah. I think about those and I've, sometimes I've looked at that and then I always think of, of mad TV and that lowered expectations. Mm. Like sketch where they would do the video and it would be like oh yeah yeah you know and the song was like lowered expectations (laughs) it was like two like chubby people holding hands on the beach and then the guy scratches his butt
2: (laughs) we're always trying to put out our best what's that chris rock has is like you're not you're not presenting yourself you're presenting your representative Mm -hmm. the first Mm -hmm. time and Mm -hmm. then you know slowly like the real you starts to come in and i mean like personality i'm not talking about your looks. Although we do try to like look our best. And then, I mean, I've been married almost 25 years and believe me, you don't care much anymore. (laughs) But you've been with Paul for four years. Yeah. An understanding.
1: Well, you know, and I work from home primarily now too. So it's nice to be able to just roll out of bed, take my dog out for a walk and then come back, make some tea and get online. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Your body positivity that you're talking about too, like, I, I think that is a, I was saying this to my neighbor the other day. It's like, and I'm not downplaying like alcoholism or addiction issues, but I think that self loathing is an addiction. You know, I think that we, mm-hmm. we get into that, that mindset. My therapist pointed out that like, you say things about yourself that you would never say about your, your best friend, friend, your friends, you would, never yeah. You would, you're the type of person that would never say that about your friends. So why do you say it about about yourself? But it's also learning. It's finding that way. I, and I wish I had done it so much younger where I'm able to go, yes, my body, like I've had issues. Like I've had surgeries and I've got scars and I've had these things. But every day I wake up and my body carries me around and it helps me complete these tasks. And,
2: mm-hmm. and it's getting you through a pandemic. That's my thing. I'm like, it is getting yeah. you through a pandemic. Yeah. <laughs>
0: like- I just look back at the things I did to abuse myself because I thought I needed to fit into what either someone was telling me I needed to fit into or what I thought I needed to fit into. And that I would be worthy if once I got to that point or once I accomplished that. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. It's just, it's great seeing, you know, I know that it's a daily, the reason I said it's like an addiction because it's a daily choice to get up and love yourself but yeah, I think it's so great of that you've gotten to that place or making your, you know, I don't know if any of us ever get to that place fully, but if we're right, you're making progress to that.
1: Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, it's one of those things too, where, you know, like you said, you would never say that to your, to your friend or whatever. And mm-hmm. I, I've told other friends like that too. And it's a struggle in my head too. And people would say, I'm stuffed in this, do I look like a sausage, this, that, and the other. And I'm like, dude, you wouldn't say that to me. You wouldn't tell me that I looked like a sausage in this dress or whatever. Right. You know, so why would you say that to yourself? Yeah. I have to tell myself that I'm my own best friend, Mm -hmm. you know, because before, because my, my, my head just tells me differently. My brain says different things to me at any one point in time, because the way that I was raised. Yep. Right. And so just, you know, this whole kindness movement that should be where people are just like be kind because you don't know what anybody's going through that day. That's right. But it, it really just should, you know, be like just be kind just in general, no mm-hmm. matter what anyone's going through. Mm-hmm. My main thing right now is I'm looking to start a non profit. Oh. For for girls. And I want I want to, you know, help them get into like trades.
3: Mm.
1: You know, for kids who don't really like school.
3: Cool. Right. right.
1: And I'm just at this point where I'm sick of corporate life and I just want to give back. And I want to, I want to get kids that are like around middle school and especially Mm -hmm. if they don't have the support at home to figure out what they want to do and teach them how to do things like just starting around the house, like teaching them how to do things, having fun activities, Um, giving them a hot meal, Mm -hmm. helping them with their homework after school provide counseling if they need it because lord knows everybody needs it you know and just start off there and then like on the weekends kind of teach them like fun different things to teach them how to work with their hands mm-hmm. and see what they like yeah. and if some of them want to go to engineering school we can provide you know some sort of way for them to find a college that they want to go to but if they don't and they want to stay in trades you know as an automotive tech or a airplane tech or electrician or, you know, anything really, just to teach them how to do that and get them scholarships for whatever school that they want to go to, whatever trade school they want to go to. That's fantastic. Um, We always ask
2: what you're grateful for.
1: Honestly, I, I think I'm grateful for everything, you know, everything that really just all the all the people that i've met all you know even my mom passing away there's this um, saying in chinese it's you know it's like how lucky are you how lucky are you that your mom passed away when you did when she did because of everything that happened to you afterwards basically mm-hmm. it's it's hunfu hun uh, is like very fu mm-hmm. is like lucky so hunfu mm-hmm. hmm. i like that I learned something. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) And that kind of, I read something about that like many, many years ago. And I think that's kind of started me on my whole journey of thinking about that. Because like, I really don't know where I would be or what I would be doing if my mom were still alive. We Mm -hmm. we would probably still be in Indiana or somewhere there, you know, Mm -hmm. like, because, because my mom passed away, right? We moved to Texas. Because my uncle and his family lived down here. Um, if it wasn't for us moving down here, I wouldn't have had the opportunities that I've had my entire life. I went to school down here, met all these great people, played with race cars in college, worked at all the different places that I have worked um, that made me the person I am today, with friends leading me to like different ways of thinking, different spiritual. Um, ways of thinking as well healing you know meeting people who helped me learn how to heal even those generational you know wounds and stuff like that and and really i think just everything just led me to to who i am today and Mm -hmm. even even the parts that i didn't really like growing up um you know just grateful for everything really